0: Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit Film-Cred.com to learn more. everyone i'm minna stein
1: and i am lauren lloyd and you are listening to the movies that made her but not me
0: the podcast where we discuss classic films from different generational perspectives the classic film we're discussing today is the 2022 feature film guillermo del toro's pinocchio
1: i want to tell you a story it's a story you may think you know but <laughs> you don't over there what is that Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! <laughs>
0: ah! Ah! Let's set the scene. The movie is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, a twist on the classic Pinocchio tale. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio centers Pinocchio's story in Italy with fascism on the rise. A father's only son is killed during World War I. Devastated and a wreck, he makes a wooden puppet one night, and when he wakes up, the puppet has come to life. This is Pinocchio. Different from normal boys, Pinocchio struggles to find his proper place in the world. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio exposes the anti-fascist tale that has always been inside Pinocchio, trying to get out. The year is 2022. COVID tensions ease, inflation rises, Russia invades Ukraine, the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, and Queen Elizabeth II passes away. We, here at The Movies That Made Her But Not Me, also celebrated our one-year anniversary of podcasting. And so, oh. for our first episode of our second year, we thought we would reflect on our favorite movie of 2022, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So, Lauren, tell me about the first time you saw this film.
1: Well, I'll tell you. I saw it about two weeks ago, and then I saw it again last night. Uh, when we decided what movie to do, I was like Pinocchio oh hell I've seen it as a kid and it's that little weird puppet and when I saw this one I'm trying to find the right word to describe it glorious might be it fantastic um it's one of the most gorgeous movies beautiful movies I've ever seen I mean it besides the visuals of it and besides the magnificent puppets and the lighting and the color palette, it's about love and war and life and death and a, a gorgeous father and son story. And it's deeply sad and deeply euphoric and playful. It's everything. It's impeccable. It's a masterpiece. All right, there you go.
0: I I think it's so <laughs> funny that you mentioned um, watching the movie when you were a kid because I had the same thought while i was watching it i remember like the disney version i think is probably the most impactful pinocchio for most people despite there being tons of them um and you know i don't know how you feel but when i think back on pinocchio i think of it as this movie about a puppet who sings and (coughs) sort of like patches things up with his dad because his dad wants a son right and so he makes a son and mm-hmm. he gets one through magic and it's just about their relationship and i think what this pinocchio really revealed about the original pinocchio is that it is such a dark story
1: yeah it, i didn't remember it being so dark
0: i didn't remember it being so dark either but i you know this movie this version of pinocchio obviously amplifies the darkness and plays into it but when you Mm -hmm. think about other versions of Pinocchio it's always there Mm
1: -hmm. well Guillermo del Toro was saying this I mean I thought it was so magnificent that it was his lifelong obsession and he remembers seeing it as the first time as kind of a horror story and I didn't and so he really brought his memory and his current vision to life
0: yeah I think Guillermo del Toro was probably the perfect director for a Pinocchio that leans into the horror elements of the story because of the way that he um, appreciates monsters and appreciates characters who are other based on their appearance or based on their just their nature of being. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, he as a director really sees that in characters. And that's yes. maybe something that other versions of Pinocchio haven't seen mm-hmm. when they when they looking yeah. are looking at the story, and it's something that he was able to highlight in a way that I hadn't even ever thought about before. Uh, yeah,
1: he, the character of Pinocchio itself is is extraordinary because I don't remember it being a little smart aleck kid, and I don't remember it saying, you know, looking at uh, Jesus on the cross made of wood, saying, "Everybody's singing to him." why do they like him and not me we're both made of wood you know it's it's brought up in so many different ways that he shows us that you know he just wants to be who he is um i mean i just jump ahead and say it's the best line of best last line of any movie what happens happens and then we are gone I, I, it's just mind-blowing and heartwarming, and it makes everything, like, life continues on. I just thought it was gorgeous.
0: Well, I think one of the changes that Guillermo del Toro made that added to the movie, and he made some changes, but the, one of the biggest, most impactful changes that I think he made was for Pinocchio to be born out of grief. And Pinocchio was always born out of sadness, but Oh. But um, Geppetto just wants a son in other versions of this story. It's just something that he was never able to have and so he Mm -hmm. makes his own. Um, But in this story, it was something that Geppetto already had. Mm -hmm. It was he makes a new son because he is trying to find an outlet for his grief of his Mm -hmm. loss of a son. And I think that that was a really interesting change because it it just it just started the story off from kind of like a dark place that other versions of pinocchio didn't have it kind of just sets the tone immediately and sets up this um metaphor of agency and Uh kind of like geppetto didn't have agency over the decision of losing his son but he Uh did have agency in making a new one and -hmm. that was a harsh reality for him because it wasn't you know exactly what he wanted but it was a choice that he got to make and i think that you know i think a lot of the pinocchio puppet metaphor that existed in the story for so long is kind of I I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a lot of metaphors of, like, puppetry and agency and who controls you and who's the puppet master Mm -hmm. that haven't been ever before so succinctly said Mm -hmm. and, like, filtered into a Pinocchio Mm -hmm. story. I think they're always there, but it's never so, so succinctly said, like you said, you know, what happens happens and then we die. Like, that's kind of the... The message of all of the movies but it's never been said so mm-hmm. well before and i i think that you know having the movie be made with real puppets instead of just animated or you know with like oh. cgi and real people like having it be a puppet story with puppets and be about like fascism and who controls you and who's in mm-hmm. charge of the narrative and who has agency where they are actual puppets who are being controlled by the director. Like it has this meta element of being a story about who controls you, who's the puppet master that is literally being told by puppets who are being puppet mastered by somebody else.
1: <laughs> I know because even the um I can't remember the character's name, but the one the um that's the general or something he's he's about the war and he um mentions about being a perfect soldier and we can control you and then the manager Mm -hmm. who wants to make Pinocchio the main attraction is like you may not have strings but I control you yeah Um, but what I loved was how deeply he he set that emotional connection between Geppetto and Carlo um you know my son my son uh, 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 that's just gorgeous song and so you see how much he loves him and how important they are and he makes him clogs and, and new feet and um and so you really feel when the little boy gets killed you know you yeah. are emotionally in there and so i thought that was you know really great
0: right even though you don't know carlo for that long they no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter You're they did such a good job of setting up um setting up emotional connections so quickly, like, in such a short amount of time.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're on board.
0: Yeah. And they mm-hmm. had, um, Carlo and Pinocchio voiced by the same actor. Awesome. So, even though Carlo leaves, you're still reminded of him throughout the movie because his voice is still there.
1: Mm-hmm. How great is that actor, Gregory Mann?
0: And amazing. He's, so good. I, uh, and his
1: voice, for this singing, he... he... Is lovely he was lovely as pinocchio
0: so lovely what did you think of the music i mean i know that um pinocchio uh in disney anyways is a musical but um what did you think of i know that there were other pinocchios that have been made since that did not include music i'm wondering what your thoughts were on the decision to include music in like the canon of pinocchio
1: i thought it was gorgeous in a in a wonderful um I I thought it was a wonderful addition. He wrote it, right? Guillermo wrote all the music, as far as I know, and Mm -hmm. it's or or who, yeah. And um, the music is so original. I loved every song. I mean, I was so moved, of course, by Chow Papa. I mean, that could make me cry. And then my boy, my boy, my son. Um, And then I loved the um, when Pinocchio was the performer on stage. Um, And they were performing for, I guess it was Mussolini. Um, It it reminded me of Cabaret, uh, those little uh, Mm -hmm. stage productions, you know, when he sings the Poop Song, Mm -hmm. which I loved. Um, It seemed like a little bit of a throwback to the movie Cabaret or the play Cabaret. Mani. Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around Money makes the world go around, it makes the world go around A muck, yen a buck, or a pound, the a marker a, a, a buck, or a pound is all that, that makes the
0: world go around A clinking, clanking sound can make the world go
1: around Money 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 like a I thought every song worked. And I was so happy that the cricket at the very end got his song.
0: Yeah, I at first I was a little off put by the music, not because I didn't like it, but because I was suspicious. I was like, is this gonna be good? And that's how I felt like for two seconds. Because the music is So, haunting? Uh I don't think it's, like, typical musical music that you would expect, right? It it reminds Mm -hmm. me very much of, like, when um, Tim Burton includes music in his movies, and it's, like, Mm -hmm. the music just sets the tone more than it advances plot, right? Because usually in a musical, like, you would include music to advance plot, but I think yeah. that this music is more tone setting and more like ways of characters to express feelings that they don't yes. otherwise yes. know how to express. hmm Ciao, papa, mio papa. Time has come to say farewell. For how long will I go? Is it far? No one knows, no one can tell.
1: I am gone for a long, long time I'll pack away a fine piece of shine
0: The sounds of birds jumping And I thought that um, it was it was beautiful. How do you feel about Chow Papa not being nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars this year?
1: I think it's a mistake. How, how could it? It's such. I think it's wrong. Is what I think <laughs> um, it, because it's so all it, oh, they're they're enchanting. I mean, the songs are all enchanting, and they're so moody, and they're and they say you know exactly the words that you want to hear you know i just yeah i don't like the idea that it wasn't nominated
0: <laughs> i don't either we should protest
1: <laughs> yeah i do sing it every chance i get Ciao, Papa. <laughs> i do uh and what about um Kate blanchett playing Spazzatori or what is
0: Spazitura? yeah
1: spazitora it's so funny because it's just squeaks and grunts and
0: Howls. Yeah, so so the story with that is actually kind of funny. She worked with um Guillermo del Toro on Nightmare Alley. Oh right. And um he was telling her about this project that he was working on and she said basically I want to be a part of it and he was like, mm. "Oh, I'm sorry, like I've cast the movie. Like it's, you know, it's it's up and running. Like I don't the only role that I don't have cast yet is Spazatora, but that character is a monkey that doesn't really have any lines. And Kate Blanchett said, For you, Guillermo, I would play a pencil. I want to be part of it. Like I will play the monkey.
1: And she's good.
0: And she's very good.
1: <laughs> Do you know what else I loved about this was the um that the uh, Pinocchio found like kind of a silver lining and everything I and mean, he was you know, um, mm-hmm. his feet were on fire. <laughs> when his feet were on fire, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, Dad, you you ruined the lovely light on my feet." Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, everything was just so sweet. And what about that sweet scene in that same scene where he his feet catch on fire? he's drinking hot chocolate and he's imitating the boy that sits next to him, Candlewick, I think is his name. Yeah, Candlewick. Adorable. It's just every moment, every moment is so special
0: yeah it's it's a beautiful movie i want to talk more about like the modern impacts and the contemporary implications of this movie because um you know even i mean i think like the anti-fascist narrative Mm -hmm. is one that Mm -hmm. rings very true today um Mm -hmm. not only in america but also in italy where this movie takes place who's Mm -hmm. uh, a country struggling with fascism right now um i think our
1: country is struggling with that but exactly
0: no i'm saying like in both places so it, it just was a very interesting um twist especially for a movie that always takes place in italy um to have it be a true story about you know a real thing that happened in italy and sort of how that s- that reality would play out for the characters in this story, especially since the original Pinocchio came out in what 1940. So it was like oh, wow. right in the midst of all of this stuff that's happening in this mm-hmm. Pinocchio was all going on when the first Pinocchio came out.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't remember it being political. I don't. Well, maybe I was too young when I saw it, or you know. So are you saying that the first Pinocchio didn't um, take into consideration any of the political? issues that were going on in the world
0: well it definitely didn't i'm just saying that i find yeah. it interesting that they chose to set pinocchio in this time period because that's when the first pinocchio came out um mm-hmm. and so i think it adds this like reflexive nature um yes. Yes. to to itself mm-hmm.
1: well i mean it certainly is also like who's gonna you know uh, you have to obey the nazis but i don't want to obey you know so it's um it just it's just um just reflects what's going on today i think beautifully
0: i think yeah. i think also another strong theme with um another change that they made that i think has a lot to do with um autonomy is the decision to make it that pinocchio never becomes a real boy mm-hmm. I don't remember. Does he want to become a real boy? I mean, that's, like, such a strong theme in Pinocchio just in general, is that he wants nothing more than to be a real boy. But in this one, I don't know that he does. No,
1: he just wants to be who he
0: is. Right. And and in the end, like, the thing that he gets is acceptance for who he is. He never becomes a real boy. He maintains a puppet Mm -hmm. forever. I mean... Oh, wait a second. You mean
1: to say... He becomes a boy because the you know the um spirit allowed him to come back to life but he doesn't come back to life as a flesh and blood boy he comes to life as i thought a puppet with boy um, qualities like he would live as long as a boy lives or is that
0: right Uh, oh no i'm saying that um Like, in the original Pinocchio, right, in all the Pinocchio stories, what Pinocchio wants, what he's motivated by, is he wants to be a real boy. He doesn't want to be a puppet anymore. He wants to be Mm -hmm. a human, like his dad. And in this movie, what Pinocchio wants is to be accepted for exactly who he is, right? You know, it's like that iconic Mm -hmm. line with the Jesus statue of, like, well, he's made of wood and everybody loves him. Why don't they love me? why don't they accept me for who i am i'm made of wood too like he doesn't want to be a real boy he just wants to be himself and Mm -hmm. when pinocchio is saved in the end which is something that happens in all of the movies right the the angel comes back and is like pinocchio you've earned it like i'm going to turn you into a real boy instead he just gets to come back as himself and mm-hmm. he gets, like, radical acceptance for who mm-hmm. he is. And he mm-hmm. lives, you know, presumably forever. Like, I don't know how long yeah. Pinocchio lives for, but he just lives forever as a puppet. Um, he never well, becomes cricket, a real boy.
1: The, the cricket does make a comment after the cricket. You know, he says, well, you know, Pinocchio found me on the, you know, windowsill not moving. So, but he's still narrating the, the, the movie. You know, and he says, like, I guess at the end that, um, you know, Pinocchio goes into the world and, you know, explains a little bit about his life. So I guess, I mean, I like the idea that he does not want to, he wanted to be a, he wanted to be Carlo. He wanted to make his dad happy. Mm-hmm. And then when he realized being Carlo did not make him happy, he's like, I just want to be a puppet. You know, I want to be accepted for who I am. And I think at the end, uh, Geppetto does accept him for who he is. You know, my son, my son, he calls him my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um. He comes back to life but I thought it was delightful that he remained a, a puppet
0: yeah and also um, the gift that Geppetto was given is for his son to outlive him right mm-hmm. I mean the thing that was taken mm-hmm. from him in the beginning was that or the burden that he was given was that he had to outlive his son mm-hmm. and then the gift that he's given in the end is that his son outlives him
1: yeah I thought that was a, a really good Change as far as you know, del Toro's uh, interpretation of Pinocchio.
0: Yeah. What about the changes that were made? One of the biggest changes that I think myself and others um, noticed was that I mean, there's a super weird part in the original Pinocchio. I think this is what Guillermo del Toro is talking about in his uh, horror aspect, but like all of the Pleasure Island stuff that happens in the original Pinocchio. I tell you, ain't this a swell joint? Yeah. Being
1: bad's a lot of fun, ain't it? Yeah, huh Get a load of that stained glass window. All right, now. Hop to it, you blokes. Come on, come on. Shut the doors and lock them tight. Now get below and get them crates
0: ready give a bad boy enough rope and he'll soon make a check off of himself. <laughs> Boys are turned into donkeys. Yeah, that's I weird. I don't know if you remember that part. Hey, Tom, the- <laughs> that would have
1: scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, I
0: don't know. But um, so I was doing some research, and I found that in Italian, the word for donkey is applied to both those who um, work to the point of exhaustion or the point of death. But it's also used for people who don't do that well in school um not because they're stupid but just because they refuse to learn they refuse to study and that makes them fail in their education mm-hmm. and i thought that guillermo del toro took kind of the meaning of that yeah and did
1: and applied it to the school here yeah. and
0: applied it to well not just that but like the nazi youth like it like the donkeys whereas in the original pinocchio they were turned into literal donkeys in this mm-hmm. movie, they were turned into like Aryan soldiers. And it was sort yes. of this idea of like people who refuse to be individuals, right? They refuse mm-hmm. to learn. They refuse to study. Um, not in a school sense, more in just like a social sense, a life sense, a um, yes. moral yeah. sense. They refuse to learn and are mm-hmm. just turned into you know soldiers basically i think the donkeys were replaced by soldiers and i i just wondered what your thoughts were on um sort of the messaging of like everybody is the same like we're all working towards like fighting and being just a monolith of people of soldiers what you thought like the modern implication of that was
1: well, I thought it was interesting uh, about becoming a soldier, and they weren't all equal. Pinocchio would have been a magnificent soldier because he can't be killed, right? Or he can be—he he comes back to life, so mm-hmm. he is um, a special soldier. But I did love that. Um, he was like, I don't know what we're doing here. And I loved his relationship with Candlewick. Who was saying, are you afraid? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm afraid. Or no, I'm not afraid. You know, that relationship. But I thought I was all driven toward, you know, kind of it's kind of, um, I mean, it's life or death. You know, it's, and then he doesn't, puppet doesn't want to do that. But the puppet will say, okay, I'll do, I'll do something life or death for my dad, you know, and I'll go back. To save him um I thought it was pretty pretty ultimate you know what I mean mm-hmm. go fight for your country well what does that even mean you know you, they don't accept me and I'm supposed to go fight for them and I just right. thought it was well done
0: I yeah. thought that um the power of education w- is a through line in the original Pinocchio but instead of being metaphorical right like being turned into a donkey here it was very um not literal, but very grounded in reality. Like, the risk of not being educated, the risk of refusing to think differently um, Mm -hmm. will turn you into a soldier who will just fight for anything and not have any sort of educated uh, opinions or knowledge of what's really going on. Like, you will just become
1: part of the machine. Yeah.
0: And I thought that was a very poignant... Moment for what's going on in mm-hmm. modern day America, and it was a very like yeah. modern take on an anti fascist story that was yeah. set, you know, in the forties.
1: Mm-hmm. I also thought that the way it was solved about well, there's the tower and the best team wins, and they're your enemy, and that uh, Pinocchio and Candlewick climbed up together and they tied their flags together. It was quite touching mm-hmm. um and yet the father held firm and said shoot the puppet right uh yeah. take your glory um hey what about those weird rabbits
0: i loved those rabbits too. <laughs> <laughs> they were so funny
1: yeah, yeah they were
0: yeah. they were very cool i thought that the um death aspect of it was such an interesting take because you know whereas in original pinocchio it's just about like the shame of being caught in a lie um and the impact that lying has on the people around you it's like it will kill you in this movie and he gets to come back but you know it has a greater
1: he gets to use his lies to help get out of a situation with you know, I hate you, father, like at the end to get out of the whale, and they, they I mean, the nose is used for good
0: yeah i i have I have mixed feelings about the lying nose growing in this movie. I think that where. I think that how it plays into the actual Pinocchio character is all good, right? I mean, I think that he is learning something and, you know, it is sending a good message. Um, I I think that maybe where the movie takes a turn that I didn't totally agree with was the decision to have all characters who lie have big noses. All characters who are dishonest have large noses because... Pinocchio's nose growing means he's lying and that applies to everyone um I don't I don't know I guess the the area where that that kind of thought that line of thinking kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way was that I felt like I don't know when it's a puppet and it's about learning a lesson and it's not permanent and all this stuff that it was about um teaching a lesson to people watching the movie but when it was applied to um other characters it had kind of this like charged double meaning especially for a movie that came out or uh, that's set in the 40s with nazis in it i felt like uh, it may be well yeah i mean i think that there's like a a history of evil people evil characters being portrayed with big noses that this movie played right into and i don't know if that was on purpose i don't i can't find any like literature or quotes or interviews about this about the decision to make all of the characters who lie have big noses specifically Um, the carnival director. like He has a really big nose, and it is because he is dishonest. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, for a movie that was so aware of the social impact, it felt to me like they wouldn't make that decision without knowing the impact, but I don't understand really what the goal was you know what i mean like i i don't think that they made that decision on purpose to play into anti-semitic tropes i feel like it was a very on-purpose choice but i don't really know like what it serves i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but i i've been trying to find information on like what that choice serves and i am coming up short so i'm wondering what your thoughts are
1: well you if you if i didn't i didn't catch that um you see things slightly differently than me um but uh i i um i don't think there are any mistakes up there do you know what i mean mm-hmm. whatever he was doing whatever he was making a comment you yeah. know he was making the comment because um, i just i think everything was so carefully i just don't think he made any mistakes mm-hmm. i think everything was thought out um so who else had a, who else had the big nose of course that the, the carnival barker the manager um
0: that was the big one it was just like characters who lie characters who are dishonest and who will lead pinocchio astray um Mm -hmm. were given pronounced nose features Mm -hmm. because of pinocchio's nose growing indicating that he is telling a lie
1: Mm -hmm. um what about the candlewick's dad the army guy or the um Mm -hmm. Did he have a big nose? I thought he had kind of a weird flat nose.
0: Yeah, he has a very flat nose, but he wasn't dishonest. He was in fact very honest, right? Oh. I mean I just, I
1: just thought he was a bad guy. Well, I think, I think He
0: well, is I'm, a bad guy, but he wasn't he wasn't dishonest. He never misled Pinocchio. I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, his... The thing that made him so evil was that he was being honest and saying, like, you have to serve and you'll be an amazing soldier because you never die and, like, that's your benefit to society is that you can serve your country over and over and over again and you can serve Mussolini and it will never, you know, have a moral impact because you will just come back.
1: hmm Yeah, you're right. Um, I
0: guess I'm just wondering, like, if they were like, oh, we'll make the carnival director have a big nose because he's a liar. It um, could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they thought at all about what sort of the larger connotation that has, especially in the time period where it's set with, you know. I mean, I think like with the movie being set with fascism and Nazis and... Um, uh, and World War II and anti-Semitism. I mean, that was a lot on my mind while I was watching the movie, specifically mm-hmm. in the line with Pinocchio and Jesus, where he's like, oh, Jesus is made out of wood in this statue, and I'm made out of wood too, but people love him and they don't love me. Why? And it made me think about, like, you know, if that was supposed to be a metaphor for Pinocchio being Jewish which I know was never established in the movie but it was the first oh. thing that I thought of, of of him being like well people don't like me and I'm Jewish but so is Jesus and they love him and like what's the difference oh
1: that's really smart I
0: did not think of that, that was, I say yeah yeah uh, okay yeah keep going I like it I mean that wasn't ever explicitly said in the movie but it was just sort of like this underlying subtext of like you know the othered group which was largely Jewish And Mm -hmm. this other group in the movie being a puppet and sort of like Mm -hmm. what is the connection between Jesus and this puppet is they're both made out of wood, but also in the larger context of the movie could possibly be that they are both Jewish, um, Mm -hmm. especially with the movie being set in World War Two. And it just made me think about like sort of um, anti-Semitic tropes or anti-Semitic Examples because I was... Because the movie is set during World War II, it was on my mind. And when I mm-hmm. saw that this character who was a liar, who was evil, who was misleading and money-hungry had a okay. big nose because of the symbolism of big noses being lies, I just mm-hmm. wondered what the um what the what that served i feel like as we were talking about that there were no mistakes that it was on mm-hmm. purpose but mm-hmm. because i haven't heard anybody really talking about it and i haven't heard mm-hmm. like the director or anybody saying like oh we made this decision because mm-hmm. i wasn't exactly sure what it did other than reinforce that stereotype that i don't think they were trying to reinforce mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I see. I think you made a really interesting connection, but Judaism. But well, let me let me just look at a practical way, what, like a carnival barker back then. What? Um, I, I mean, I always just thought I just saw him as, uh, you know, a big, blustery, controlling. I mean he kind of just represented like the media to me do you know what i mean or entertainment or like what that's about and how people are caught up in that i didn't even go to the point of um i just didn't go as deep as you it's very good
0: i mean I also think that then it's like this extra layer you know even if you do go from the angle of like he's the representation of the media and how people get wrapped up in the idea of fame but they don't even you know have any practical understanding of what that means and how lonely it is and Mm -hmm. how like the entertainment machine will take advantage of you Mm -hmm. and use you and strip you of your humanity it's like well who's at the helm of that entertainment machine a jew right (laughs) and that also is
1: all right okay yes 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 especially like uh, with Kanye today right um yay whatever his name is um okay yeah I think you're right on
0: I just am curious um and I know you don't have an answer I don't have an answer either I just was curious what the motivation behind that decision was because I would find it hard to believe that Guillermo del Toro doesn't know that there is a history specifically during world war two of G- Jews being characterized as evil uh, oh, villains yeah. and, with big noses. Um, and about money and, you know, right, exactly. Yes. That was all mm-hmm. very much a part of the, uh, Nazi propaganda machine was depicting Jews that way and that was reflected in this movie I felt like and so I was wondering like what the motivation behind that was and what they had intended the impact of that be well
1: let me ask you then were you um offended by that character were you how did you how did you feel personally about
0: it I mean I think that it's not explicit right and so that Mm -hmm. makes it just more something that I am theorizing about and wondering about and wishing there was more dialogue about because it it was something that I noticed but something that was never explicit so I don't know what the intention was or what they were trying Mm -hmm. to do um Mm -hmm. and so I guess like you know as we said like everything was intentional I just wish I knew what the I wish I knew what the intention was
1: well what if the intention is exactly what you're saying do you know what I mean? What if the intention was exactly like that? They, he was pointing out that what you're saying is that you, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. What if you're right about that? Yeah, it, you know what's so interesting is it's so when you, as you talk about it, it seems kind of obvious now. Uh, I wonder how you find the information. How do you find the information out about that?
0: We gotta call Guillermo Del Toro and ask.
1: We could call Gary Unger.
0: <laughs> Get him on the podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: I don't know Grandma. I wish, but I don't know him. Um, what did you think visually about the spirits? There are two sisters, right? Mm-hmm. One made a promise. and I mean, because even the visuals of the way that, like, spirit or character moved was kind of jerky and a little bit weird. It threw me back to some, you know can't remember who the um animator was back then but it, it it threw me back to some older um visions of kind of weird stop motion you know I mean that character moved in a different way than pinocchio or the other characters yeah i found that pretty interesting
0: i also thought that it was um um a less romanticized more gothic idea of what an angel is because if you think about the disney um Pinocchio, the angel is a blonde, beautiful, glowing exactly. being um who's like skinny and perfect and just like the idea of beauty, um, uh-huh. the Western idea of beauty. But then mm-hmm. in this movie, it was like a scary, yeah, hawk with like glowing yeah. eyes and wings and claws. And yeah. it felt like a Gothic idea of what an angel is like that you would see in you know a gothic painting um uh-huh. and and i liked that it didn't play into any ideas of beauty or western uh, me too. like any standard of beauty it didn't fit into it was just like yeah this is what guillermo del toro thinks that an angelic being looks like yeah which was scary and i loved Ooh. that
1: well the first time that pinocchio becomes alive you know when geppetto was out past our tron that little thing was like a scary spider Mhm. I, I just I just love that it was like tripping and falling and uh, it, it was scary and then of course not as scary when it you know had that little rubber glove on its nose.
0: Well, I liked that it played into horror elements and horror yes. tropes and horror themes without being a horror film, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that Guillermo del Toro does that really well, like um Shape of Water for example, which is another which is a love story about um Others and people who are are othered in their community, um, and playing into horror elements without it being an actual horror story. I think that it's so cool to set a love story in a horror s- story or a it's story rich. about a f- familial love. You know, the love between a son and a father inside mm-hmm. of a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I find that too really, be beautiful. He-
1: yeah it really um gets deep into that relationship and then it's from you know moving out to what's going on I mean I found that the shape of water was super frightening with that michael Shannon um character and yeah and then they they succeeded in the end their love one out
0: well I think yeah. the, I think the horror elements aren't supposed to be so much um horror and more to expose sort of the fear um in those situations like the fear associated with this Fascist time in Italian history, or the fear in you know having a son pass away and then having a um, new son and being afraid for them and afraid of loving them because what does it mean about you know Carlo and and okay. your love for him and and loving this new son but worrying that they're going to be taken away from you either mm-hmm. to join the military or the circus mm-hmm. or just die <laughs> and being awesome. worried about them all the time. Um, I think that the horror exposes the fear and the scariness of those situations you know it's not mm-hmm. a fear it's not a horror that is supposed to impact the audience so much as this is supposed to expose um, scare the scary realities of these very real situations and like even in Shape cool. of Water like the scary elements are to expose you know the fear that is associated with falling in love and stuff like it's, that like, Living, just yeah. life
1: you know I mean it's beautiful but it's also horrific
0: yeah I guess my question now is do you think this movie is a classic which I think is an interesting question because there is a classic version of this movie already
1: um yes I I mean Pinocchio is a classic right um Wow, this um, has reset the standard. I think uh, this is a modern day classic on a classic.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think I think there are a few times that I see a movie, and I think it's an immediate classic. No time mm-hmm. has to pass before this movie is just immediately a classic. Um, okay. The an, the other example that I can just immediately think of is when I saw Get Out, and I was like, "This is oh, just yeah. immediately a classic. Like no time well, has to so pass original. for this to just be a classic." and yeah. I felt that way also while I was watching this version of Pinocchio especially since Pinocchio is a classic story like you said and there is already mm-hmm. a classic version of Pinocchio it just mm-hmm. in my yeah. brain was immediately replaced <laughs> I was like this movie exactly. did what that movie was trying to do a million times better just immediately it's replaced
1: I agree I mean it it was a first for me just with the stop motion and the puppetry I mean that was just visually exquisite Um and the story itself, it it, um, it exceeded my expectations in every area. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so of a movie, so just comparing it to a, a previous Pinocchio, um, it's just a, a bigger, better, and more glorious.
0: Yeah, I I totally agreed. How are you going to feel if this doesn't win Best Animated Feature? It has to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can't. Uh, uh, it would.
1: Uh, well, I feel outraged, <laughs> sad, <laughs> and I'll watch it again. <laughs> I mean, when I first saw Pinocchio, um, this version, I called everybody I knew. I was like, "You have got to watch this movie. I just can't even. There aren't words to describe it." Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, this movie is just going to go on and on and on. It would be a mistake. Well, who could possibly win over this?
0: I don't know. I just fell in love with stop motion as an art form. I found it to be the most, like, intimate form of storytelling and art because of the, not only attention to detail, but because of the time intensity that it takes to do even one motion. It just feels so intimate because you know that every second, every blank, every word that is spoken took hours to animate And it is so hands-on intensive. And I just find it to be so... Such a beautiful way of telling a story. And especially in a story that is about... Um, who is the puppet master and who's controlling your story, for that to be Mm -hmm. told through hours of dedicated animation at the Mm -hmm. hands of the puppet master, who is, you know, Guillermo del Toro in Mm -hmm. this case, Mm -hmm. um, I found that to be so beautiful and symbolic of the message that the movie was trying to portray. It was almost like they were like, well, there's really no other way of telling it other than um, to just do it, you know, to actually pull the strings of these characters so so to speak Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yes he's actually building what he's saying about puppets and puppetry and who's controlling Mm -hmm. just magnificent i give it um, 100 thumbs up
0: (laughs) me too 100 (laughs) thumbs up Mm -hmm. thank you for listening to this week's episode of the movies that made her but not me Thank you to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. Be sure to follow us at Movies Made Her on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on episode releases the movies we'll be covering and all things podcast related.